today uh, we're going to work on this line of do not be afraid. I'm going to spend some time with the shepherds today. So if you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to find Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we'll finish with communion today at the end of this message. The, the shepherds were the first ones to hear the birth announcement of Jesus. They were the first visitors to the newborn Jesus. I've got a few pictures here of of uh, shepherds. Uh, this is a this is from a little place in Israel called Nazareth Village. It's kind of a recreation of of what what first century uh, Israel may have looked like. But those are real sheep, and uh, and it's it's kind of a neat experience. The next picture here. Is uh, is an actual shepherd and an actual sheep. Uh, Tim Franz, you took these pictures for us. This would have been in, do you know? This is in Israel as well, and uh, that's that's the life of a shepherd. It's kind of dusty and doesn't smell very good. I've got one more picture here. It's how they they may have lived. That's how they live today. Bedouin shepherds out in, uh, well, to me it kind of looks wildernessy, but but maybe it's not to them. I want you to kind of visualize that as we encounter what we're talking about today. That's the life of, of these guys. And if you've got uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. At this point, uh, we're taking this story a little out of order. Jesus has already been born at this point. We've had the prophecies. We've We've had Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah, and we'll get to some of those later, but we're jumping all the way to the shepherds today. And it says this, verse 8, it says, That night, that is the night of the birth, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize Him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth." to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, well, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And verse 16 says, they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And verse 20 says, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And it was just as the angel had told them. Let's be seated together. We're thankful to the Lord for his word this morning. This story might be really familiar to you. In fact, as I'm reading it, your mind sort of might have been wandering about what's happening for lunch today or, or something else. It's just like, yes, I know the shepherds, the angel, and go see it. Uh, you know, it's really familiar. Maybe you've, like several times every year. You, you're, you could probably, you know, quote it along with me, especially if you've watched Charlie Brown's Christmas enough times, right? Linus there on stage. What's Christmas really about? Charlie Brown says, Linus says, I'll tell you, Charlie Brown. And then he, he quotes this passage. It's fabulous. 
And and you've probably heard enough sermons, you know, to know that the shepherds are kind of low class people, and and how special it is that the announcement of uh, of Jesus the Savior would come first to the people we'd expect to be last on the list, right? There's that whole kind of narrative, and you've probably been challenged as I have been to respond the same way the shepherds responded enthusiastically and quickly and joyfully and full of faith and not skeptical. And that's a great message. You've probably heard sermons about the simplicity of the birth and, and how those humble circumstances are, are meant to remind us that Jesus was born to be like us, to, to, to be with us, God in the flesh. Now, all that's true. That's just wonderful. You're thinking, oh man, okay, are we going to hear all that again? Well, maybe. It's not a bad message. Can I, I, I do need to, for some of you, spoil your Christmas just a little and, and admit that Jesus was likely not born in a stable, even though we have a stable here on the stage and it's nice. Probably not born in a stable. Um, laid in a manger. Yes, that's explicitly in the text. But in the homes of that time... Uh, we're told, or some have said in studies, that that inside the home was where the manger, the manger is just a feeding trough, that the feeding trough was kind of built into the middle of the home, and you had this sort of open, that by day is sort of a family room area, and, and by night it's where the family animals would be kept. Um, the Bible tells us that Joseph was a good man, so most likely, you remember, he's he's returned to the home of his of his relatives and ancestors. Most likely, a good man like Joseph has found a place for them to stay, especially in a hospitality culture like that. So they're probably with relatives, but there's lots of people in town for the census. That's why they went to Bethlehem. They live from Nazareth, but they travel way down south, days. Down to Bethlehem. They made a journey to Bethlehem. Some like some of you are going to make in a couple weeks. Some of you are actually going to be in the cast. You don't know that yet, but some of you will be in the cast. Right? Why am I signing up? I don't understand. Right? Luke makes a comment in verse 7 that there was no lodging for them or there was no room for them. And historically, it's been translated there's no room for them in the end. Really, it's a better translation to say there's no place in the guest room or in the upper room for them. So, probably um, born in a home, but laid in a manger among, still among the animals. And, and, it's, and it's, this is really okay. This is okay to continue with the tradition of the stable and the mean old innkeeper, right? That's okay. That's okay. But let's just be honest. It, it's kind of extra biblical. Um. Jesus is born in humble circumstances in a borrowed space, right? Laid in a manger. That's humble enough, simple enough, but loved and welcomed into a good family and a good uh, culture. As you would expect, Jesus came to be God in the flesh, in skin like you and I, and that's the setting. In a sense, fairly public birth, like in your living room. That's where Jesus was born. Okay, that's all right. Now, as for background, there was not much to be excited about in Israel at that time, right? There had been no significant messages from God for hundreds, maybe 400 years, and certainly we call this kind of silent period. 
uh, they, they still had the temple, yes, they had synagogues in their different towns and villages, and they, they, they had the priests, and they had their religious practices and religious leaders, but it was really not the best of times in Israel. They were under Roman rule. That's after a, a, a failed Jewish dynasty called the Hasmonean dynasty. And that had followed the Seleucids and the Macedonians, that, that's Alexander the Great. And the Medes and the Persians and the Babylonians had kind of been centuries of of oppression and not really having their own identity as a people. And 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 so you've got this kind of buried national identity, you've got God being silent and and and, and life is hard. Life's hard. And then you know this census that's been called that the this the Caesar had called for a census of, of all the Roman world and that's just a reminder once again, oh yeah, we're really not free. Just really not free. We're just Kind of just trying to get along day by day. And then on a personal level, you've got the shepherds and they're living with the drudgery of being a shepherd, which is really not that exciting. It's the mundane of day to day living. And maybe you feel that yourself. Like, trust me, it's not that exciting being a teacher either or nurse or doctor or construction worker, wherever you are, tradesperson. And so this sense of like nothing to look forward to. I don't know if you ever feel like that. I'm not kind of working to it. Just like I'm just, just, I'm just on this treadmill. And yet for hundreds of years, you've got this, you're being reminded that there's prophecies, that there's promises that a savior will come, that, that a ruler would arise, that the, 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 the Christ, the Messiah, Christ and Messiah means the same thing. Christ is just the, the Greek version of a, of uh, the Hebrew term Messiah, promised one of God. You, you, you've been told he's going to come and he's going to reestablish your nation. He's going to rise up and, and everything's going to be okay. And so you're waiting and waiting and waiting. And I, I don't know about you, but there's things that I've prayed for for a long time that I haven't sensed an answer to yet. And I even had to wait 400 years. That's a long time. And back to the shepherds, you've got life not being that great. There's there's no reason to believe your life's ever going to get any better. I mean, you're you're kind of on the bottom already. And then you've got this message from this terrifying visitor. They were sore afraid, as Linus says. Can we go to that next slide? And and, and this is what happens in verses ten eleven, right? But the angel reassured them, "Don't be afraid," he said. "I bring you good news that will bring." Great joy to all people. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. Well, maybe that really matters to them because of their life just kind of oppressed and, and mundane. But does it matter to us? And I would say, yes, it does matter to us. It really matters to us. And I would say it's for this reason that we need to be reminded that there is a Savior. you got to be reminded that there is a Savior. I need that reminder. It's this routine of life that preoccupies us. I don't, doesn't it seem like your life feels more kind of consumed than ever before? Or the people around you just seems like, ever tried, like, anybody recently tried to schedule a, a, a dinner with just a few other friends? Oh my goodness. Is that not the craziest thing? Um, you know, we've, we've sometimes booked things with friends up to six months in advance. Because, well, when's your calendar? When's your calendar? And then you're married to a nurse and her schedule changes all the time. And how do you do this? And like, ah, and, and I don't have little kids that 
home and I'm driving to soccer games and everything else. It just seems super busy and, and all-consuming. And then on top of that, you've got all this bad news, right? That, that campfire, oh, just doesn't your heart just like, ugh? Right? You've got shootings and crime and human trafficking and then your, your, your own like experiences of loss and grief and disappointment. And, and honestly, it's all a bit much. And, and, and we just desperately need to be reminded that there's a Savior, there's a rescue out of all of this coming. And there needs a future that's better. We need Our need for a Savior, our, our need for a, a better future, I think is obvious. And it's always been that. It's kind of, this, kind of the ongoing reality of the human condition. I, I'm going to share a, a, a paragraph out of a book I've just read. It's called The Monuments Men. It was a movie a number of years ago. It's nothing to do with the Bible. I, I'm just just got to share this because I thought this was kind of a cool illustration. Um, there's this division in the Army in World War II that were responsible for collecting the, the artwork uh, uh, of Europe, basically the national treasures of, of Europe that the Nazis... See, Hitler and his Nazis were not only viciously wicked people, they were, they were terrible. I mean, they were looters. They just looted the whole continent. And they scooped up all the treasure of... of private homes and museums and galleries and churches, and they just tucked it all away and hid it. I mean, they were just, they were horrible, horrible. And so there was a group uh, that was responsible for finding this stuff and repatriating it all. And it was millions of pieces of stolen art. And they trudged around in the mud and the filth and the destruction of that war. And one guy in 1945, he wrote this back to his wife. He said, the eyes have one continual feast. It's late in the spring. Flowering trees are everywhere. And the charm of the romantic little towns and the fairy tale castled countryside is enhanced by all this freshness. And in the midst of it all, thousands of homeless foreigners wandering about in pathetic droves. Germans in uniform, mostly with arms and legs or more missing. Children who are friendly, older ones who hate you, crimes continually in the foreground of life, plenty, misery, recriminations, sympathy. And then he says this, all such an exaggerated picture of the man-made way of life in a God-made world. If it all doesn't prove the necessity of heaven, I don't know what it means. I believe that all this loveliness showing through the rubble and wreck are just foreshadowing of the joys we were made for. It in the worst of times, somehow God allows a flower to grow or an experience to happen. You think, oh, yeah, we need we need a Savior. We need heaven. We need something ahead. We, we need that to come. Friend, you were made for more. You were made for the best of what God has created, for what the best of God has for you. You, you may need reminding of that today, that, that what you're experiencing right now is not everything. This is not the end. The angels, speaking to those shepherds, tell of a Savior who promises joy. It's good news of great joy. It's joy now and eternity in the presence of God when we, when we die. And those, those shepherds, after this initial you know, terror of the Lord's presence around them, they really did experience joy. How did they experience joy? They believed the message... And they acted on the message. Right? Likewise for us, joy flows when we act in faith. They heard it and they said, let's go. Uh, verses 15 and 16 really record that. 
uh, that experience. They say they, they, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told about. And so they hurried to the village. They found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger, just like the angel had said. It's pretty amazing. Let's go. Let's see. Let's hurry. This kind of sense of urgency, they gotta get there. We, we, we've just experienced that. It's not enough to say, well that's good, we should, maybe sometime this week, if you guys can fit it in. Maybe we could, if we could get a sub for the sheep. The, the sheep are gonna be fine, let's go. Right? Verse 17 then goes on to say that, that they then told everyone that they could. Hey, have you, have you heard about this? Did you know there's a, they finally get back to their flocks, verse 20, right? They were glorifying God and praising God. Joy is, is flowing as they act on the message that they're given. It's a pretty remarkable thing that it's that quick. Hey, well, 30 years from now, we might experience some joy over this, so... No, right there. And, and you've experienced that. You know what I'm talking about. You've, You know, for example, if you're serving a journey to Bethlehem this... This winter, you're, you're gonna be tired at the end, you're gonna be a little cold each night. You think, oh, why am I, why is this four nights, Lori? Right there, that's gonna be a little bit of that. But you're gonna be, have this joy like, okay, that was really cool. Like we just told the message of the gospel to 4,000 people. Okay, that's, that's pretty cool. Right? That immediate joy. Some of you serve in a, in a kids ministry program here, you serve in the kitchen or you're greeted at the front door and it's, if you're doing this for the right reasons, there's a joy that comes with that. Some of you serve in other places outside of this. You're, you coach, you, you volunteer at the hospital, you, you do different things. You're like, this feels, this feels right. And maybe you share your faith with a stranger and, and, and you just know that feeling like, wow, that was so scary. And yet I'm just infused with joy right now. I mean, you sense it in Nicole's testimony, like just, I'm just living, I'm sharing about Jesus, and wow, it's beautiful. I am told that when we do actually good deeds, that you get a little hit of dopamine, like the happy chemicals in your brain, that when you serve and you do, you volunteer, you serve someone else, like it actually, it is literally good for you. It's a little bit of a drug. Legal, safe, right? Fantastic. The barrier to this, of course, is that we have to act on it before we can see it. So, you know, the shepherds didn't get to FaceTime with the baby Jesus first. Well, let's really have proof that he's there. There was no Facebook Live event. Hey, everybody, we're going live with the birth in a couple minutes. I actually know somebody. And I know I promise not to rag on millennials, but honestly... Can you not FaceTime the birthing room, please? On Facebook or to Facebook Live? That's just not necessary, okay? I didn't watch. I couldn't do it. Um, right? No, they had to say, okay, we've heard it. Let's go see. That acting in faith, that, that believing. It's an experience of joy. So, they hear it. It's, they've got to make the choice. Are they going to respond? And, 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 and they, they did have to leave the sheep to go see. Right? All of us have some leaving to do, don't we? 
to really act in faith and really do what God's called us to do. Don't all of us have a little bit of leaving to do? Some place of security. Yeah, but, but I can't do that because I need, I might need that later, whether it's your emergency fund or this, this place you've always served or, 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 or your routine that you've always kept. I, but I, I need to hang on to this because there, all of us have some leaving to do. Maybe it's, maybe it's an addic- addiction. Maybe it's a secret habit. Maybe, um, it's just sort of our favorite TV show. Maybe we have some leaving to do. To really act in faith and experience the joy that's promised to over fear. Some of us are just kind of waiting for something good to happen. You know, you're just kind of waiting. You're just kind of in limbo mode. You're not really sure, but you're waiting. You're just kind of, kind of coasting and waiting. You're waiting for Mr. or Miss right to show up in your life. You're waiting for the perfect job. You're waiting for, for someone to apologize to you because they owe you an apology and you're going to wait until they apologize. And hmm. The shepherds and all Israel were waiting for the Messiah. But there came a point when they had to get up and go see. They had to act in faith. Some, some of you have said, I'll really trust Jesus when, when it really comes to me in an obvious way. And the invitation is to get up and respond. To act in faith. Maybe you know you're being nudged to do something in 2019. A new, new level of serving or, or a new kind of giving or, or maybe a missions trip or sponsoring a missionary or, or, or obedience to baptism or, or, or seeking help with an addiction or, 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 or the obedience to forgive somebody even when you're never going to get an I'm sorry. You're, there's no freedom for you until you'll get to that place. Joy flows in response to acting in faith. And that's what the shepherds did. And truly, they, they did make a turnaround from, from terror to joy. Terror to joy. Now, fear, fear is kind of normal and I think almost... Ne- well, it is. It's necessary in some... Parts of our existence, right? If I'm, for example, if I'm running power tools, I have a certain healthy fear of that spinning blade on the table saw. I am afraid of that thing. I, I, I know how to manage it, but I have a healthy fear of that. So fear alerts us to danger. It, it helps us respond quickly. It, it's, it kind of serves an important purpose. But the fears we're talking about here, the fears we need deliverance from, the do not fear stuff is deliverance from things like anxiety and panic. And worry and tension, that tension in your neck all the time. Those mornings when you wake up and your jaw is sore because you've been clenching all night. The night terrors, depression, nervousness. Those fears are not good for you. They're not helping you. They're not healthy for you. And you need deliverance from those fears. And the shepherds discovered the cure for fear. Do you know that? The shepherds discovered the cure for fear. It wasn't a pill. It wasn't a new diet, it was the good news. The good news is the only cure for fear. I want to go back to the message of that first angel, verses 11. Where he said, don't be afraid, I, I bring you good news. That will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. Well, why not be afraid? Well, because the Savior has arrived why do you need a Savior? Well, we need a Savior to d- deliver us 
to forgive our sin, to, to rescue us from the judgment that we deserve for our wrongdoing, to defeat death and the grave once and for all. We need a Savior for those reasons. We need. They maybe thought their Savior was going to be a political hero, a political leader. But that's not what we're talking about. This is the Savior. He, the language is the Savior. The Messiah. Christ. The one that's promised. Not just... It's like the angel saying, the Savior. You guys, the Savior has been born. It's kind of that emphasis for them. Like, oh wait, like not just another prophet. No, like... You know, like, like the Savior. That's good news. And why else is it good news? It's good news because it's good news for all people. Good news of great joy for all people. Here we have this incredible message that right from the beginning, they're being told that the Savior is Christ the Lord. The parallel, the... The, the equalization of God as Savior is given to the shepherds right from the beginning. They're, they're being told this is, this is God in the flesh. And then it's for all people. The gospel's always been inclusive. Not just for poor or rich, but for shepherds and wise men and Jews and Gentiles and people who speak English and Italian and Swahili and Japanese and everything in between. It's for all people. And we always have reasons to be afraid. I think we live in a fear culture. I think we're taught to be afraid. We're constantly told that something bad is happening, or it's, it's about to, and the planet's going to burn up, and your home's going to be invaded, and your kids are going to be abducted, and, and, and we fear that, that what we do matters to no one, that, that we're not making a difference in the world. Those are all kind of fears that we live with, maybe of health fears or financial fears or relationship fears. Maybe you share the fear of me and many others. Think, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think I, I don't know if I'm ever going to have enough to retire. You know, that's, that's, a, that's real fears that people think. But if God has really given us a Savior because of His great love for us, don't you think he's willing to deliver us from all those lesser fears as well? He's already taken care of what's the worst possible scenario. Everything else pales in comparison to that. I mean, we should fear more than anything that, that, that we will fail to trust God for salvation and thus spend eternity in the torment of hell. That's what we should be afraid of. Jesus even said, fear, fear that. But God's already taken care of that. If my trust is in Him to deliver me, to, to prevent that end for me, that eternity for me, then, well, wait a second. If God's taken care of that, then He can guide me in those other decisions about my kids and my finances and my where I live and what kind of work I do. And He can take care of all the rest of those things. Can't He? This is where you nod. Say yes. Amen. Everything else is insignificant compared to that. My favorite verse in the passage is verse 20. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. The good news cured their fear. The good news cured their fear and resulted in joy. Their response of faith was rewarded with joy. The the joy turned back into praise. Praising God for a Savior. 
because we all need a Savior. It didn't happen right away for them. In a moment, we're going to take communion together. And um, so when you think about this, you know, Jesus wouldn't begin his teaching ministry for another 30 years. Maybe some of those shepherds, who knows, some of them might have been 40 or 50 years old when, when the birth announcement came. And I wonder if how many of them were alive. I wonder if any of them got to meet Jesus when he was teaching and doing miracles. Because if not, they were putting their faith in something that they wouldn't even get to see in their lifetime. Because it didn't matter. The good news was enough. It was 33 years after Jesus' birth that, that Jesus had one last supper with his closest followers, the disciples, and, and they'd seen the miracles. They'd, they'd heard the, the teaching. They'd, they'd, they'd learned how to mimic Jesus in their own lives and their way of thinking and They'd preach some of the same sermons that Jesus had preached. They'd learn to pass that on. They'd perform miracles. They'd cast out demons. They'd done all those same things that Jesus did. But then it was on that, that night, at that one last supper that Jesus had with his followers, that, that he gave them another ritual by which to remember their faith, by which to remind themselves of the Savior. Not simply a story of shepherds, but a ritual they could repeat again and again and again. They were taking Passover together. The Passover meal, we talked about that a few weeks ago here, and as they as they finished that Passover meal, it's hours, just hours now before his arrest, his torture, his crucifixion. Jesus invited them to share that meal as an act of faith. What was the act of faith? The faith to believe that God was establishing a new covenant, a new agreement, a new arrangement that you're not saved by, by, by making those animal sacrifices and keeping the law and, and, and surrendering yourselves in that way every year, but by faith, believing that Jesus himself would be the sacrifice for our sin, that it's his blood that would cover over all our sin. There's always has to be an exchange of life for life. If I'm going to get my life back, someone else has to give their life up and Jesus gave his life up so you and I could have life. And that Commune, what we can now call communion, the Lord's Supper, that last meal together, that was their reminder. That's the ritual that gave them that opportunity. Trusting in Jesus as the Savior. Trusting that they could live in His joy. Trusting in His new agreement, His new covenant. In a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity while uh, Lorraine plays in the organ today, I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to uh, receive communion. We've got three stations set up in the back, two on the side, uh, two, two on the sides and one on the back. Gluten-free elements are available in the back station there. And, uh, invite you to simply go and receive the representative bread and receive the cup. We use grape juice here. And it's just a reminder to, uh, of what I'm about to read. And that you're, re- you're reminding yourself not of your sin, not of your fears and not of your failures. You're reminding yourself again about Jesus, the Savior, the one who came to deliver you from all that stuff. The one who came to give you joy. The one who came to empower you to be able to, to live this life out loud for Him. The Apostle Paul wrote to the, to the Corinthians, he, he said it this way, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord Himself. On the night when He was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and He gave thanks to God for it. And then He broke it in pieces and He said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. 
And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. You're announcing the death of someone who's alive. That's what you're doing. By partaking in the bread and the cup, you're saying, this Jesus that was crucified is alive and he's coming back. And if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, that that table is for you. And if you're not sure, maybe today's a good day to observe. Go and pray. We'll have a prayer team. People will be on the side and they would love to pray with you and help you understand what it means to give your life to Jesus. I'm going to invite you just to bow your head as we as we pray. God, we, we want to thank you. Thank you for the, the shepherds who responded in the perfectly right way. I thank you for, for trusting them with the good news first. Lord, if you, if you trust them, I think you can trust us too. God, we want to be responsible with it. We want to respond the way they did. God, we want to, we, we just thank you for the, the reminder again today, Jesus, of your sacrifice on the cross, that by our faith in you, when we put our trust in you, we can be forgiven and made right with you. Jesus, you, you poured out your blood on our behalf as a, as a, to seal that agreement, that covenant. The bread reminds us of your body that was broken. You suffered terribly for us. Took on all the judgment we deserve so that we could be set free. I just thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.